0: So who's ever had one of those days when you come home from work or from school or from hanging out with the kids and you're just wiped out and you're like, all right, dinner is going to be whatever I can nuke in the microwave. Or you get busy on errands and it's like, well, I guess it's going to be Mickey D's for lunch. Maybe you've had uh, to go back a few months for that one and thinking about you know how often we get out and everything like that. But I admit that's been most of December And most of Holy Weeks for me, as those are seasons that just get so crazy busy, it's like, all right, all I need is calories, 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 just to make it through the day. We get Sometimes we get busy, and it's like eating right is the first thing to go right out the window. You ever wish that more things in life came with the nuke option? I don't mean like blow everything up to smithereens, um, though life does have some of those things on occasion. But it's just like, all right, insert the raw materials, hit a few buttons, and then 90 seconds later, there's your finished product. It's kind of like the T-Mobile commercial that's going on around lately. I want it all, and I want it now. Good old-fashioned Western uh, mentality. Yeah, I get it. In a month when hopefully goals and resolutions still have a little bit of sway in our patterns and our habits, there's sometimes when growth can feel like a grind. Malcolm Gladwell has famously said that it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at anything, whether it's cooking or, or a, a subject or rock climbing or basketball, whatever it might be. There are often times when we wish we could make that 10,000 milliseconds in ten, instead of 10,000 hours, just instantly become the expert at whatever it is that we're trying to learn or accomplish or get to. But wherever we start, Growing in our faith isn't immune to this whole fast food mentality. It's like, we can often think of it like like a drive up at McDonald's. Um, You know what, I'll take a number two, supersize my hope and hold the trials, please. You pay your $5 at the first window and away you go. And here's the thing about fast food. You may get it in about eight seconds, but the fact is you're probably gonna pay for it for the next eight hours, Right? Take the alternative now. Now that we're done with Mickey D's for a little bit. The alternative of a slow cooker. At least here at Woodland. This is the time of the year that we're starting often to plot out what our chili cook-off recipes are going to be. Now, I'm guessing, I'll tell you this, in the 11 or so years that I've been here, not one person who has has ever come to the chili cook-off, which is our big cooking competition in February, Nobody's ever come with a a pot that says stick it in the microwave and serve up and serve as an their entry you know we vote in this cook-off with we have jars out in front of each of the entries and people put money in and the entry that gets the most money wins um you'll hear a lot of the kids will put in coins or quarters or whatnot. you know what you hear when you get a recipe like that that's like stick it in the microwave and and serve at entry you get crickets. The slow cooker takes much, much longer to to do what it does, maybe even eight hours to make. But it's so much better in the end, right? And you know what? The concept goes way beyond just the chili recipe. It counts for our relationships, for our job or our calling, and yes, for our faith. Think about, it. you know, there's a, a saying that has I've seen on social or something like that that says, it's talking about friends. It says, make new friends, but keep the old. The first is silver, the latter gold. Now, there's something to relationships, friendships or marriage relationships or family relationships, where it's like time just ends up being something that is that you can't, you can't nuke. You can't get it instantly. So let's take this back to the idea of growing in our faith. What does slow cooker faith look like? Well, Paul lays it out, or lays out the end result of it in Romans 12, in verses 1 through 2. Check it out. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect? So it sounds like a big ask that Paul is making here. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's kind of like, all right, slow your roll here, Paul. Let's not have a microwave relationship here. Let's not dump all, jump all the way into presenting our bodies as a, as a living sacrifice. I mean, that's kind of a big deal here, Paul. Let's, let's have some kiddie pool. Let's have some, some shallow pool first. But understand... That, as I'm reading this out of Romans 12, we're three-quarters the way through the letter to the Romans at this point. Paul has spent 11 chapters building up all that God has done for us. So Here's a little Bible study tip for you, especially when it comes to the letters, uh, which are in the last quarter or so of the Bible. Keep the context in mind. If it's possible to read any passage in the whole book or the whole letter, if you do that in this book, you'll see 11 chapters of what God has done for us before he gets to, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's giving us a reason to worship consistently. And now he's finally making the ask. He's, in other translations, he'll say, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Because when it comes to maybe worshiping at church physically on a Sunday morning, it's like we can't just leave our body on the church steps until we come back next week, right? And then we'll pick up our bodies and, and do our worship thing and then go back about in the world. It's like where you go, your body goes with you. And that was kind of a, an interesting example, but it makes sense. It means, you know what? Worship can happen any of the 168 hours of the week. So here's the part where we get to the slow cooker part of developing our faith, where I'm going to really kind of amplify this This idea comes out of verse two, that second part that I read. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want to dive into those two formed words, conformed and transformed, that Paul uses. So when a person accepts Jesus as their savior, which is kind of the benchmark idea of becoming a Christian, we sort of think of, that as the, the starting place. A lot happens right then, yes. You know, a person's eternity has changed. The Holy Spirit starts to work, etc. The mistake we often make, though, as Christians, is we think that if we lead somebody to that point, it's saying that you know we get to that point and that's the mountaintop. That's the pinnacle moment. That's the best that it gets is when a person finally... Accepts Jesus as their savior, and there's certainly something to celebrate about that and to, to be thankful for. But you know what? That's where the fun begins. That's where the transformation doesn't end. That's when it starts. Case in point, out of my own story, I was one. I accepted Christ um, as my savior in my dorm room at Illinois State in when I was 18 years old, going on 19, my first my freshman year of college. That meant. To use Paul's words here, conformed and transformed, that meant I had 18 years of life of being conformed to the world. And me being me, I was one who wanted to fit in. You know, I went to big schools and, and big groups and everything like that. And, and to be you know, not an outcast, there was a place where you had to fit in. And admittedly, my friends were nice, but they weren't exactly teenage altar boys. Honestly, neither was I. Even more so, the people who were altar boys were anything but once the robes came off. So there was a lot when I was 18 and in that dorm room at like 2 in the morning and I accepted Jesus into my life. There was a lot that I had to sort of unlearn of the bad stuff. Just as much as I had to start learning the good stuff. And I spent years learning that good stuff. But know this. That night in my dorm room... Was about as undramatic as it gets. That's that transformation didn't happen instantly, and there are ways that still 20 plus years later, it's still happening. And so I say this to encourage you, that we can hear Paul's build-up, 11 chapters of God's done this for you and this for you and this for me, and it's like we can. Hear this mountaintop plea, this climax that he's finally gotten to in Romans twelve. And we can hear, I urge you to offer yourselves, to be transformed. And then we hit the first roadblock. And you know, laying in bed like I was that night in my dorm room. And we think about the day and we kinda of debrief the day. And it's like, all right. Just just in one day, I looked at somebody with lust. I yelled at my kids. I yacked out the McDonald's worker for getting my order wrong. Or right, I guess I am going back to McDonald's a little bit. It's over. It's done. I'm through. I'm finished. Here's the fact. Transformation takes time. It takes hours in a slow cooker to go from raw ingredients to something that, is, that we look forward to for eight hours. It takes hours. It does not, take sec- it does not happen in seconds in a microwave. It takes repetitions. It takes reps, many of which will be failures. You know, that last part of that verse that captures this idea so well, so that we may discern what is the will of God. You know, Often, even if you've been around Christian circles for a while, the idea of the will of God is sort of this super elusive thing. Like it's this ethereal thing that we can never figure out and never grasp and all that. What's the right move when it's 9 a.m. and the kids have already blown my patience? Guess what? You'll probably yell at the kids a hundred times before you finally get it right. You know, ask my son Andrew or even my girls. They'll tell you a hundred times is probably a pretty gracious number. What's God's will for how I treat somebody who gives me three cream and two sugar when I ask for two cream and three sugar in my coffee? I know it, it sounds trivial, but again, it's reps. It's repetitions. It's what Gladwell said, 10,000 hours of practice and work before you become an expert at it, before you finally start to get it. Here's the good thing. God gives us more than failure to transform us. He gives us his word. He gives us the Bible. And dare I continue the line of thought? Think of the Bible like a, a spiritual dumbbell. All right. Now, will a dumbbell transform you instantly? Probably not. And I'm not going to put God's ways in a box. You know, there's certainly, uh, God can pull off miracles as he even does in some of the stories in his word. But it usually doesn't happen that way, that it's instant transformation. But if we use it regularly, i.e. we get a lot of reps in, will it eventually transform? Will the kettlebell eventually transform our body? There's a pretty good chance. In fact, there is an idea that correlates so well. Um, there's an exercise effect. Um, it's called the EPOC effect that describes how our bodies can burn calories even after we put the kettlebell down and, or the barbell down and we stop exercising. Yet our body keeps still burning calories. Guess what? Reading the Bible does the same thing. We read it. And we're physically reading it. All right? And something catches our attention and we start ruminating on it. And as... One of, one of the guys in our church says, um, he, I always know when a message is, has struck a chord. He's like, I got a bone to pick with you because you got me thinking again. Or maybe we're done with the physical reading of the Bible, but the word is still doing its transformative work. And when you need it, whether it's for yourself or to help somebody else, the right word comes to you and it happens. And it, it doesn't happen in an instant or for just 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. But it happens through reps and through small steps that lead to big transformations. So I alluded to your next steps a little bit earlier uh, in this message, where I said how Paul sets up this chapter with 11 chapters of what God has done for us. So here's your next step for this week. Over this week, I want you to read through those 11 chapters of Romans. Hop online, um, BibleGateway.com is a good place to, to find you know, an online Bible if you don't have a physical one, or you can just Google Romans 1 through 11, you'll find it on, on a couple sites. Um, that's probably about a chapter and a half a day. But Here's the thing, again, I don't want you to do the nuke mentality, I don't want you to do the microwave mentality, I don't want you to read it all at once and then say, okay, I'm done for the week. Take it slow. Space it out. Put the letter of Romans in a slow cooker, not in a microwave. And see if the feast at the end isn't totally worthwhile. Let's pray together. God, thank you for giving us so much, for blessing us in so many ways, even when we didn't deserve it. Help us, through that grace, to be transformed. That we're not conformed to the world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that you would go to work so that that renewal starts to play out and we start to make a difference. And we start to be people that bring hope into the world, that, that show what life in you looks like. It says just how awesome you are. So help us this day and in those little ways to do that, we pray. Amen.